Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. Uh, Just real quick, imagine over this next year you have neighbors that maybe uh, re-engage the church for the first time in over a decade because they've had such a terrible experience. Or imagine a family member or a friend that maybe reignites their faith or finds faith in Jesus for the first time. Or a neighbor of yours that for the first time that there's hope for their marriage has been hanging on by a thread. And I just want to tell you that because you hear me say this often, but generally, I mean, maybe hundreds of stories throughout the year, just like that start with somebody had 30 seconds of courage to just invite me to come. And so I just wanna encourage you one more time over five Christmas Eve services next weekend. And then when we're back on January 7th, because we take the weekend off in between, um, that you just consider over these next few weeks and as we move into the new year, inviting somebody. And my invite is always pretty like low key. Hey, it's an alternative to church as usual. I think it might be a different experience. You gotta check it out. And I'll just tell you, I've invited a lot of people and generally they love it every single time. And your kids are especially gonna love it. And I just, I said this a few weeks ago, I want some of you to experience what it's like to be a part of this movement when you invite somebody and then you watch their life change. There's nothing like it. And you suddenly feel a part and you get written into their story forever. And I'm not overstating that. And so this is your opportunity. We're not a church for us, we're a church for the city. And we're reaching people that nobody else is reaching. And so I want to see you um, show up and invite somebody and see what God does over the next couple weeks. And when we come back after Christmas Eve, I'm starting a new series called Living With Yourself. And it's about how um, basically to make sure that the self that you're living with is the self that other people see. And we're gonna talk about that for four weeks. And if you weren't here at the beginning, January 7th is Drop Zone Sunday. And so it may be your kid's favorite time of the year. So I don't know if you know what that is. They're gonna like drop crap off of a, a crane and maybe you're not clued into what kids love, but they're gonna love it. And so do not miss January 7th and do not miss the opportunity to invite. Cool? Okay. Awesome. Awesome. I'm so excited about where this is going to go over the next 38 minutes. So we're in part two of this series um, called Not So Hallmark Christmas. And what we've said is this, I love this time of year. I mean, some of you maybe don't, you're like, whatever. But I I love this time of year. I said last week, I'm at the age with my kids where it is a lot of fun other than those times where you plan something amazing and magical and you go to do it and you have all these visions of how cool it's gonna be. And then two of them who just cannot get along right now start arguing back and forth. And then they're screaming at the end of the night. And then there's the threat of there's not gonna be a Christmas for you. And and I'm not saying that happened last night, but I'm just saying those kind of scenarios take place. And the thing about this season is as amazing as you want it to be, in some ways there is so much pressure that the Christmas season can almost be a reminder of what life is not. So it's not that these things are new, but all of a sudden this relational tension you've been dealing with for a while because it's gonna show up at your Christmas table, all of a sudden it comes to the surface in a new way. 
and what was like Hallmark, perfect life, you know, perfect life, perfect Christmas, perfectly wrapped presents. It just doesn't work out that way. Like it, it just generally doesn't wrap at the end of the episode or the end of the movie like a Hallmark. And you're just kind of left with the, the loneliness maybe for the first time as you're walking through this season maybe the disappointment, maybe the unfulfilled dreams. And again, it's not like it's new, but all of a sudden it's just, everybody looks happy and it just comes to the surface in a new way. And it's almost a reminder of the things that you wish were different in terms of your life. And here's what I wanna talk about for a couple minutes. There's this thing inside of every human being, like this desire where we just intuitively go to wanting to find purpose and find meaning out of things that just seem meaningless. Like it's random, it's messy, it's even dysfunctional. Like there's just this thing inside, and you don't even have to be a a God person or a person of faith, this is just a human thing. You just wanna find some kind of sense to make out of your experiences and you wanna find purpose and you wanna believe that this is going somewhere. Like you're walking through something right now, it's not what you want it to be, but somehow things are, are gonna be better on the other side, that somehow there's gonna be meaning and what you're walking through, I just, I don't care who you are, I don't even have to know you, that thing is inside of you. Like you, you just feel that. And we'll even say it in, in some of our language, like, oh, this is, it was meant to be, or hey, what else do we say? Like everything happens for a reason, I don't believe in coincidence. And then it's crazy, I'm gonna make fun of Christians for a second, so if you're not one, this is for you. Um, but we will try to connect the weirdest dots just in like, and then we'll go, well, it's a God thing. <laughs> and then you look from the outside, it's like, I don't know if that's a God thing. I don't know if God would sign his name to that. But we, but we so want things to work out. So I say all that to say this, the Christmas story is really a reminder that things are not as random as we think they are, that it is going somewhere. And in fact, here's what I would tell you, that desire in you where you wanna connect the dots, you should lean into that, that is not bad. In fact, I think in some ways God has placed that inside of you. And at Christmas, it really is this reminder that we are a part of a divine story that we are a part of something that is beyond us where God does have a purpose and it's not meaningless. The mess is not in vain, that God is doing something through it. I mean, that's what I love about the Christmas story. As I said last week, it's as messy as your life is. It's as messy as my life is. We love to sand off the rough edges. We love to storybook it, but that's not what the story is. Here's how Luke records it. Luke is a guy that was, if you don't know, he's highly educated in the first century. He actually interviewed a ton of eyewitnesses over hummus and you know coffee or whatever they did. He gets all the details and then he writes it down. People document it, people gave their lives for it. And, and here's what he said. And again, the danger of this every year is I almost like wanna switch it up. Like, can I tell the Christmas story without telling the Christmas story? Because everybody's heard it so many times, but here's the deal. We've heard it a ton of times but we so minimize the randomness and the mess and the dysfunction of this story. That's what I wanna highlight for you. And so here's what Luke writes. You're familiar with these words or you heard Charlie Brown recite them in Luke 126. If you're on Unfiltered Radio, I wanna invite you, um, thank you for listening and joining us. Here's what Luke writes. In the six months or the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Mary's cousin most likely, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. And again, just I want to try to get you for a few minutes to step outside of the story and the storybook nature of all this. This is just another random arranged marriage, which is very common in this first century ancient culture. And a descendant of David is who Joseph was. And then, just before we get there, imagine, because we know the end of the story, imagine everything that hangs in the balance of these next words. And Mary has no idea. Mary has no idea that a new movement's gonna get started in the name of her son. No clue. 
Mary has no idea that cathedrals are gonna be built, that monuments are gonna be erected. She has no idea of all the embarrassing history in church history as it'll become to be known, like the Crusades and the Inquisitions. She'll have no idea about martyrs who are going to give up their lives in every generation for her son. She has no idea of any of that. She has no idea that hospitals are gonna be built, buildings are gonna be erected. She doesn't have a clue. But can you imagine for a second, if you can just step out of the story, what hangs in the balance of these next couple words? She has no idea. But the virgin's name will be who? And it's crazy because we're 2,000 years after the fact and all of you know her name. And here's the thing, in this moment, at this point, nobody knows much about her life until an angel comes and interrupts her life. We just know she's a teenage girl, literally. She's a part of another random arranged marriage. She's going to live where she's told to live because that's just what everybody did. She's hoping to have a family. She's hoping to have a kid. If she's really lucky, she's hoping to have grandkids and then she's gonna live and she's gonna die. Like nobody's gonna know about her. Nobody's gonna erect any monuments. There's gonna be no trace like millions of other nameless, faceless people that she ever lived. And she's like most normal people. She's gonna get to the end of her life and she's gonna wonder, did any of this have any meaning? Is all of this just random? Is any of this have a purpose and going anywhere? And then into all of that randomness, God steps to basically say, I'm writing another chapter in my redemptive story to the world. And you have actually been invited, Mary, to be a part of this. In verse 28, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are what? Highly favored. And she's like, I'm like 14. How's that possible? The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be because she doesn't really know where this is going. Are you showing up to give me really good news? Is this gonna go well? Or are you here to show, show up with really bad news? I don't really know, like, aside from the greetings, I don't know what you're about to tell me, but the angel said to her, verse 30, do not be afraid. Mary, you have been found in favor with God. And just real quick for a second, there's a reason, number one, an angel always says, do not be afraid because you're talking to an angel. That's number one. Number two, I know some of you have dealt with it. I know some of you have dealt with the, the pain and the heartache and, the, and just the, what am I gonna do with my life from an unplanned pregnancy? I mean, let's just get into Mary's world for a second. This is an unplanned pregnancy like none other. And so when an angel shows up to go, don't be afraid, there is every reason in the world to be afraid. There is every reason in the world to be curious and to wonder what in the world is going on and why would you choose me? Not like, oh, why would you choose me? Why would you choose me? Do not be afraid, Mary, you found favor with God, though it is not gonna feel like you found favor with God. But Mary, you have been singled out for a purpose and God showing up in a unique way in history and yet it's not gonna feel like it because the unique way that God is gonna show up to use you, Mary, is gonna be synonymous with dysfunction and disappointment and a mess. But I want you to trust me anyway. And just real quick, because again, we romanticize the story. Mary's just a girl. I mean, it ended up, we sing songs about her. She had great faith, all of that's true. But when the angel shows up, like Abraham in our message last week, God just had to choose somebody from somewhere. There was nothing special about her. But for some reason, God shows up to choose her for what he's gonna do in the world. And he says, you will be with child and you'll give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus. And at this point, I just want you to feel this for a second. 
Mary is as confused and afraid and full of doubt as you can imagine. If, if she wasn't, she wouldn't be human. And the angel basically shows up to go, Mary, I, I know that you're confused. I know that you're doubting. I know that you're afraid. I just want you to remember this moment that I am up to something. And then verse 32, he, talking about this son she's gonna have is gonna be great. And he's gonna be called the son of the most high and the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. I mean, so much certainty. How do you know this, angel? And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will never end. And again, if you were here last week, you can go back and listen to it. But they're thinking, what kingdom are you talking about? We have had no independent kingdom in Israel for 500 years. All of these prophecies about God's gonna come, made a promise to Abraham, and Abraham's family's gonna come a nation, and that nation is gonna become a kingdom, and that kingdom is gonna produce a Messiah, and that Messiah is gonna bless the entire world. And yet here they are, 500 years in between, there's been no independent kingdom. God has not answered any of their prayers lately. And Mary's like, how, how is that possible? And yet she's got bigger things to worry about than you know, how all of this is gonna happen. In fact, I love what she says next because this is street level. This is how you would respond. This is how I would respond because the first thing that comes out of her mouth is a question, not, hey, God, you're amazing. I mean, I'm talking to an angel, so I gotta imagine this is legit and God's doing something. The next thing out of her mouth, even though she's talking to an angel is, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. How are you gonna do that? Like how which is what we ask, how in the world, because as I'm looking at it, all I'm staring at is randomness. All I'm staring at is a village of people who are gonna constantly be whispering behind my back. All I'm staring at is excommunication from my friend groups. All I'm staring at is a life where I'm probably never gonna be able to have another kid as she sees in this moment. I'm never gonna be happily married. I'm gonna be disowned. So what are you, how, how are you gonna do that? How is this gonna happen? Mary asked the angel, since I'm, she probably stuttered, I, I, I'm, I'm just gonna say I'm a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Just real quick, if I can just crush all the romanticism of the story for a second. The Holy Spirit is saying to Mary in this moment, Mary, I get that this looks like dysfunction <laughs> and disappointment and loneliness, and how am I gonna explain this? But what is in you, my paraphrase, is from God. And she's not comforted by that. Because what is in her is everything I just said, that she has been handed dysfunction and disappointment and loneliness that she did not ask for. And what I just wanna say to some of you, because I don't know what circumstance you're in, I don't know where it's at relationally, I don't know where you're struggling with God, he has not answered your prayer in seven years and it's hard to maintain faith. Is it possible, and I would never say this because this would be insensitive, I'm just leaning into the story of scripture, the story of Christmas, what you see all throughout the narrative of the grand story of what God's doing. Is it possible for some of you, I don't know, that the very thing that looks like dysfunction and disappointment is actually disguised destiny? disguised will of God, that God is up to something that in the moment, there's no way that you could see, no way that you could connect the dots. And that's exactly where Mary's at because she doesn't see disguised and dressed up destiny and will. She just feels like God has forgotten me and where are you at? But the very thing that caused her to question, it causes you to question God may be the very thing that God is using. 
And so the Holy One to be born into verse 35 will be called the Son of God. And it's crazy because here we are 2,000 years ago and you know his name. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to, again, so certain, have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren, like they said about her, but God did anyway, is in her sixth month. And then I love this verse 37. For nothing is what? For nothing is impossible with God. And yet, just pause for a second. At this point in the narrative, if you don't know the end of the story, for some of you, I hate that you know the end of the story. It's so strange. Like, it's been 400 years of waiting for God to do anything. It's been, again, to go back to last week, it's been 400 years of absolute randomness and chaos, this promise that God's gonna do something to the world and it's gonna happen through the nation of Israel and yet the nation of Israel looks like a joke. I mean, overrun by the Babylonians, overthrown by the Persians, stomped on by the Greeks. Now at this moment in history, they're under Roman occupation. I mean, nothing good has happened lately and you're showing up saying that God's suddenly gonna do something unique. And I mean, God, where have you been for the last 400 years? I don't know if you've noticed, but we've been praying a lot of prayers. We've been quoting a lot of Old Testament verses. We've been waiting for God to do something. When is enough enough? And now you're showing up and handing me dysfunction and doubt and chaos and a mess and then asking me to believe you? Asking me to believe that somehow I'm, to quote the verses, favored by God, that God knows my name, that God's gonna work purpose out of all of this? It's kind of crazy. It's like God showed up to go, I understand it doesn't make sense, but here's what you have to understand. I get it's been 400 years. I get I haven't answered your prayer lately, but here's what you need to know, that every single one of those kingdoms and every single one of those empires came and went at my declaration. God would say, because I raise up kings and nations and empires and then I slide them off the stage of world history because I've been in control the entire time. And when you look at the details, You can't connect any of the dots and it doesn't seem like my hand is on any of it, but you need to understand, God would say in this moment when nobody could understand what he was up to, that life is not as random as you think and I am doing something on purpose. And God would say through the angels in this moment, I'm just telling you, mark it down, write it down in your journal. My kingdom is gonna last forever. And then the angel's like, see ya, Mary. It just leaves. It's like, what am I supposed to do with that? And then just by the way, because again, we fast forward the whole story. She lives the next number of months. And if you've ever been through a pregnancy, I mean, my wife has like several times now, those nine months feel like about 37 years, right? Am I lying? And so she's just carrying this for the next number of months. I mean, like, there's the decree, God's gonna do something. And yet we never enter into the moment to go like, but how did she handle all of those trips to the grocery store? Like how does she deal with literally just being, being shunned by everybody? How does she go back to normal? How, how does a pregnant teenage girl with no viable, sane explanation continue to move forward from months on in, trying to convince people around you. I mean, your parents are asking questions, friends are asking questions, the bump is starting to show, and she's like, I don't, there's no viable explanation. And yet she has to deal with all of that. Nothing looks like she's highly favored by God. Nothing feels like God knows her name. 
This is why in the why didn't you go choose somebody else? Because I didn't want this. I don't want to be highly favored by God. And then finally, you know, many of you know the story. Joseph, who has just enough faith to continue to move forward, even though there's a lot of gaps that need filled in, he stays with her and and they end up finding out that Caesar Augustus has issued a decree based on taxation when he signs it um, into law and they gotta go back to Bethlehem and they've got to register. And so they have to do that at the point where Mary is nine months plus pregnant. And Joseph has to take her about 80 miles back to Bethlehem. Now just real quick, I love my wife. (laughs) I love my wife. We have been, I just said it already, we have been through this four times now with four different kids by God's grace. And I I love, I cannot imagine surviving with my life if I asked my nine months plus pregnant wife to hop on a donkey and ride 80 miles. Can you imagine? And so I like, I have so much, I can't even imagine and I have so much empathy for Mary. I'm feeling Joseph in this scenario too. And so like, again, as if it hasn't been enough and, and you know, for months, those nine months had to feel like three years. Nobody's showing up. The angel's not getting, giving any confirmation. Hey, Mary, you're doing great. Instead, it's just another, yeah, random, get on a donkey. Ride it for 80 miles. It's gonna work out. It's gonna be fine. They get there. You know the story. Joseph can't call ahead. Marriott's book. They end up in a cave that's a stable and they have a baby in that stable. And then Herod finds out that this, this baby king has been born and he is enraged with jealousy. And another angel comes and says, you gotta move back 200 miles to Egypt with this little kid. And they do it. And then what comes next nobody ever includes in the story. What comes next never shows up in the storybook, and I'm not suggesting it should. Nobody ever narrates this during the Christmas Eve services because this destroys all of the romance of the story. This makes it way too messy. This can cause you to question God. This unearths all the stuff that maybe you relate to in different ways to go, how could God? I mean, this is the thing that nobody ever talks about that they pick up and they go 200 miles to Egypt and then Herod in his jealous rage issues a decree that he signs into order for his soldiers that they're gonna go back to that village that Mary and Joseph have just fleed from and they are going to execute every single baby boy two years old and younger. That there will be mass genocide decreed by Herod. And I don't know if you have ever heard the cries of a parent who've lost a child, but it's different. And all throughout that village in that city, they would hear the wails and the screams and the noises that are unlike what you normally hear human beings react. And every single one of those kids would be pulled from the arms of their nursing mothers and taken away and executed because of the birth of the baby Jesus. And nobody ever talks about the fact that Mary for the rest of her life would question, okay, God, you saved us, you saved my kid, but all of those neighbors that I knew that I I looked eyeball to eyeball with, we had each other over to our houses. Like I knew these people, I knew their names. For the rest of her life, she would question, why did you save us and you didn't save any of them? She, She would deal with survivor's guilt for the rest of her life. 
And she would act like a normal person would. And she would question, God, what is your purpose in that? What are you doing? You ever been there? And eventually they would flee to Egypt and for the next several decades, she, as far as we know, she'd try to raise Jesus as best as she could and then Mary, as you know, would experience the worst imaginable pain that any mother could ever experience. She would end up feeling everything that her neighbor friends felt several decades before. And she would be in a courtyard and she wouldn't be able to see it, but she would hear what it sounds like for a grown man to be executed under Roman execution. Roman execution that they considered an art form. It took several um, decades, hundreds of years to perfect what they would refer to as the art of ultimately executing and torturing another person. She would unfortunately have a front row seat to smell what it smells like, to watch what it looks like, to hear what those sounds are, to watch her firstborn son executed. And in that moment, come on, let's just get into the reality. It would just be another random Roman execution like hundreds before that. Just like it was another random act of enraged jealousy that created those issues earlier in their life. And she had to carry and she had to deal with all of it. And she wondered, make no mistake about it, like we wonder, God, are you in control of any of this? Like, how does a good God even stand by to allow that to take place? Why have you not intervened? Could we kind of speed up your prayer answer cycle to be a little more than 400 years at a time? Could you do something? I'm tired of the promises. Could you do something now? She felt all of that. And yet, what was the greatest amount of dysfunction and disappointment and loneliness and mess that she could ever imagine? In retrospect, it was the epicenter of God's greatest activity in her life and in the world. And all I'm telling you is Christmas is a reminder that that thing in you that wants to connect the dots, do not ignore that. That thing in you that wants answers, don't ignore that. That thing in you that wonders, is it random? Why the mess? Why the dysfunction? Is this going anywhere? Is God doing anything? Do not ignore that. That is the image of God in you. And we know that everything worked out but she didn't know that. And about 25 years later, the apostle Paul, who would write about two thirds of the New Testament, looked back on all of this and he put it in kind of more technical language and he summarizes all of the events of the Christmas story in Mary's life when he said this in Ephesians 1.11, in him, in Jesus, we were also chosen. You were also chosen. If you're in Christ, I was also chosen. Having been predestined according to the what? To the plan of him, who works out what? Dysfunctional marriage, loss of a kid, addiction, the doubt, the faith being knocked out from under you, the how could they betray me? God, why would you allow that to happen? Do you not see what they've done to me? That God works everything in conformity and this is the thing that we long for and this is the thing that we hope is true. 
that he works everything in the conformity with his purpose and his will. But I think Mary actually said it in simpler terms when she said it this way. And here's what she said before we get to the verse. This is what she said at the very beginning of the whole story. Before she knew what was gonna happen, this was her response to an angel that comes with a, disfun- with a ridiculous really message and says, here's some dysfunction and mess and disorder that you didn't choose. I hope you trust God. This was her, and this is, this is how she responds in just a second, before she knew anything was gonna happen. This is before that she knows that the mass killing of all of those babies. This is before Herod shows up on the scene. This is before she knows she's gonna have to take a donkey ride. This is before she knows that her son is gonna grow up and ultimately he's gonna be executed under Roman rule. This is before that she knows that it's gonna end with her son in history rising from the grave. She has no idea that 2,000 years later after this, that his name would be heralded in every generation all around the world against all odds. I mean, dude didn't travel more than 30 miles from his home, never wrote a book. 2,000 years later, she has no idea that everybody would know his name. She has no idea that 2,000 years later, a third of the world would confess or would worship her son as savior and Lord. She has no idea that's coming. And an angel shows up and gives her all of this mess and her response is, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you said. And then he left. And here's the thing. Mature faith is not faith that moves God. And for some of you, you grew up in an environment where if I could just pray a bigger prayer, if I could just have more faith, if I could just have more faithfulness, maybe God's gonna do something on my behalf. That's not what you find in the New Testament. So let me just have you take a big, deep breath. Your faith isn't the problem. Mature faith is not faith that moves God. Mature faith is faith that moves you to trust God when God does not seem to be moving, when your prayers are not being answered when none of the dots are connecting and you wonder, is this random? Is there purpose? Is God in control? And for a lot of us, the thing that we wanna do, like you're questioning and you're wondering and your ability to connect the dots, that's not wrong. But for some of us, that's the thing that has dominated our lives of I'm gonna trust and I'm gonna be faithful as soon as you show me a little bit more of the plan. Like I've gotta see your purpose. I gotta see the dots connect. I need you to give me something. And the reality is none of us are very good at connecting any of the dots We don't know what God is up to. She didn't know what God was up to. Abraham had no idea to go from what God was up to. And the reality is if you are willing to move in the direction of mature faith that says, not that I'm not busted up, not that I don't have doubts, not that there's moments where there's not dark nights of the soul. This is not perfection. This is though, I'm gonna have just enough faith in the midst of the doubt, in the midst of the question, in the midst of wondering what God is doing through this. I'm gonna have just enough faith to trust you anyway. This is 
I'm gonna lean in. And if you are willing to lean in and have faith anyway, and it's not faith because you're just hoping, it's not faith because you need to somehow self-soothe and feel better. The only reason we believe any of this is true, the only reason I'm standing on this stage is not because the Bible says it, not because of this whole miraculous story of, the, of Christmas. I wouldn't take any of that seriously if it weren't for what happened about 33 years later when Jesus went to a cross, he died. And then I think overwhelmingly historically, he walked out of a grave alive and it validated everything about the story. It punctuated the fact that it's real, that he is the son of God. He is the chosen Messiah, that God has done something in history so that you don't just have to muster up faith. You can know anytime a guy rises from the dead, it validates everything that he said. And so he says to you, based on history, based on the fact that I died for you and I'm for you, I want you to walk through this. And if you are willing to walk through it, the promise is not that everything's gonna work out on the other side. You don't see that in the scriptures. The promise is that Emmanuel, God will be with you and that there is a purpose on the other side. And if you spend your life going how, what, when, and God, as soon as you answer those questions, I'm gonna follow you, you will miss out on the promise of what God has on the other side. And here, here's what is so spectacular about the Christmas story. This is what, if you're still trying to figure this all out, this is what it separates it from every other world religion because we do not have a God who is somehow disconnected and distant. We have a God that condescended and came in human flesh through Jesus and he entered into everything that we feel. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, that through Jesus, we have an advocate. And what it means is the Christmas story is our ability to keep going through the mess and the chaos and the dysfunction, knowing that God knows that Jesus entered in and he experienced all of the pain and all of the randomness and all of the mess. And he would say to us, have you ever had your heart ripped out because of loss? Me too. Have you ever been betrayed by those who are closest to you and you feel like you lost or wasted a decade of your life? Jesus would say, me too. You deal with dysfunctional family. I don't know if you know the backdrop of Jesus' story. Jesus would say, me too. And Jesus entered in a suffering servant and felt all of our pain so that he could say to you in whatever situation you're in, unlike anybody else can, I know. And I'm entering in your pain and I'm not asking you to just get over it, but I'm asking you to trust me through it. And the reality is at Christmas, it is a reminder that God is up to something bigger and you were created for a purpose. And sometimes that's revealed immediately. Sometimes that's revealed eventually. Sometimes you see it. Sometimes you don't ever get to see it. But Christmas is a reminder. The story is a reminder that God is up to something bigger, that there is a divine destiny that you are a part of, that it is not out of control. God has not lost sight of you. God is involved. God is active. God is working. God will work everything to the conformity of his will and his purpose and his plan. And the very thing that looks like a mess and dysfunction and disappointment, just hear me, may be the very thing that is disguised destiny and will and purpose in your life. 
And the only response is, God, I would not choose this. I don't want this. I don't know how I'm gonna walk through this. But as Mary said, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Because the reality is God has never interrupted any of his plans. He's just interrupted ours. And God, give me the faith in this moment, the mature faith, not to move you. Give me the mature faith to continue to move to trust you when you don't seem like you're moving. And wherever you're at, online, via radio, you're watching right now, I wanna invite you into this and all over the room. If you would, just out of respect for people where this is a moment for them, would you just bow your heads, close your eyes? And I wanna pray specifically for those of you who are in a place right now and you've been handed maybe something unexpected. Relational tension, unfulfilled dreams that have come to the surface. Maybe it's disappointment. It's dysfunction, it's loneliness that you did not ask for. And wherever you are, with nobody looking around, just out of respect for you, this is kind of, you just feel this in this moment. I just wanna pray for you. Would you just lift up your hand if this is where you find yourself right now this Christmas? Yeah, just get it up for a second. I'm gonna pray over you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me give you another minute. Like this is me. Somehow the declaration sometimes physically to just go, this is where I'm at is helpful. Jesus, I just pray for those right now that are in that season that are raising their hand that God, you would move in an unmistakable way in their heart and life. And I pray that in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the mess, that God, you would somehow confirm in their hearts and strengthen their faith to believe that you are worthy of following still, that you are up to something, and that God, you would mature their faith to not try to move you, but to move to trust you when you're not moving and you haven't answered any prayers and it doesn't seem like you're even involved. But the reality is that our circumstances are not a good indicator of your activity, your purpose, and all that you're doing. And so God, in a way that only you can do by the power of your spirit, give them faith, encourage their hearts, help them to be anchored to the fact that you have done something in history that reverberates through the ages so that we can know that you are worthy to be trusted. And I pray for others today where this is the moment where they place their faith and trust in you and maybe against all odds would believe it's true. That I've wondered, I've tried to earn my way to God or I, I just checked out on God for two decades because I didn't think I could believe any of it. And this is the moment to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the son of God, that he is the promised Messiah that he is God in human flesh and that he came and lived a perfect life that we could not live. And he died to death for the sin and the injustice that all of us had a hand in the whole world and every generation. And then unlike any other religion in the world, he walked out of a grave alive so that we could know. And I pray this would be the moment that they simply in their heart and mind would just utter, I believe, I trust you. I'm asking you to forgive me, to save me. And the scripture says in that moment, they become a son and daughter they become divinely a part of your family, that they are loved, accepted, worthy, secure, not based on what they've done, but simply based on what Jesus has done in their declaration of faith and trust. And so God, do your thing by the power of your spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name.
Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.